0: You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks, welcome back to the show. Boy, am I excited to bring you Mr. Peter Fermenti on the show today. Peter was my personal sales coach for a very long time, my personal sales mentor. This is the guy I went to with all of my sales questions. He is one of a kind. There's nobody I've ever come across in the sales world that is like Peter for a mentee. You're gonna learn so much from this conversation. And specifically, what I find so refreshing about Peter's approach, an approach that I've adopted myself, is this idea of selling from the expert frame. Selling from the expert frame. So when we sell as consultants or professional service providers, we need to sell from the expert frame. We need to sell like we're the experts in the room and like clients need us more than they need them because that's the truth. And we win when we sell from within that frame. We lose when we try to be some other kind of seller, when we use tactics and strategies that professional salespeople use. When we lower ourselves to a pair of hands or an order taker who's there to just take a piece of business and, and charge a fee for it, that's where we lose. And what Peter's going to articulate for us in this interview and share with us is how we can maintain our integrity as the experts in the room, as the expert consultant or professional service provider but still have effective and authentic and meaningful sales conversations that get to the heart of the matter, because that's the goal of the sales conversation. So lots to learn here from Peter from NT. Pull out a pen and paper, take lots of good notes because uh, class is in session. Peter's a master and you won't be disappointed. Now, with that said, last episode, I mentioned that I've got some time on my calendar in the next week or two to talk to you personally about how you can get better results for your consulting business heading into Q2 and beyond. If you're not happy with where you're at after Q1, if you're not happy with the results, if you're not more than 25% towards your revenue goal after Q1, well, don't. Rest on your laurels, that's for sure, right? Don't wait around for things to change because unless you do something differently, things are not going to change. The last thing that you want is to head into Q3 or Q4 before you realize that you've got a problem. If you know you have a problem now and things need to change, then you're going to want to take action right now. And if that sounds like you, I'm setting aside some time on my calendar in the next couple of weeks to talk to you personally about what you need to be doing to get better results for your consulting or professional service business. If you want to be one of those people, before all the spots run out, head over to forecast.fm slash talk. That's forecast.fm slash talk. Find a spot on my calendar. Fill out the questions after you schedule your session so I can make sure that you're a good fit for this. And if everything looks good, we will talk at the scheduled date and time. With that said, here is my conversation with the one and only Peter Framenti. Peter Fermenti thank you so much for coming on the show
1: hey absolutely man. I'm, I'm happy to be here
0: hey so I tell everybody you know you're my sales mentor and I'm saying that right here up front at the beginning of the, uh, of the podcast so it's, Peter's my guy Peter's taught me uh, more about sales in the last I don't even know a couple of months than I've learned in years so how's that for setting expectations Peter
1: uh, yeah, man, I, I appreciate it, on, but uh, um, I feel like you're, you're overselling me just a, just a little bit.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think so. They're they're about to see why in a minute. So listen, Peter, for those who don't know who you are, give us the, the quick Peter Fermenti backstory.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I came up in uh, in corporate sales. Well, I mean, you know, I started in sales at like 15 years old selling Florsheim shoes. That uh, was my very, very first sales gig. And I've pretty much been in some form of sales my whole life. But I came up, uh, in corporate sales in, in the hotel industry and, you know, dealt with the long sales cycle of, um, uh, you know, going through. And, and really the goal was to just get included in the RFPs with some of these major corporations so that we could sell them hotel room nights and convention space and things like that. And, uh, and then moved out of that uh, into coaching and then like was a broke coach for a while uh and from there jumped into uh kind of the high ticket coaching space actually selling for other uh high ticket coaches and that process really just you know taught me uh very quickly how uh, a whole new process for not only uh, how to sell uh from the standpoint of of like a, the authentic expert frame which we're going to talk about i think a little bit today uh but also really realized that a lot of what I did to shorten the sales process in corporate sales uh, could be used in that process. So I've sort of combined those two things. And although the market we work with traditionally now is more of the coaching and expert space, um, as we've talked about, there's a lot of value for those doing the corporate sales process and, and what they can do. So now I've started, I, I've moved from selling for other people into my own uh, offer where I actually work with uh, mostly expert coaches who are building a transformational offering uh, program of some sort. And we actually help them learn to sell, build their sales system and process, and then actually scale to seven figures and beyond
0: by, by building a sales team to sell for them. And Peter, for those who aren't familiar with the term, what, what defines high ticket sales?
1: Uh, so, I mean, yeah, and actually that's interesting because obviously in the corporate space, high ticket could be $100,000. Um, it could be a million dollars, right? Uh so I should should give that that kind of for typically for experts in the transformational space, high ticket is a low end three to five thousand dollars on the higher end somewhere around ten to fifteen. Uh, and those are front end offers. But then, you know, many of our of our salespeople sell the back end offer. So the the secondary would be uh say a six, 000, five 000 or six thousand dollar a month like mastermind. So like a fifty or sixty thousand dollar sale for a back end offer.
0: Got it. And just, just for everyone's context, uh, like I've been learning a lot from Peter and from his team on how to do these, these high ticket sales in the coaching space. But what I found and what Peter and I have been talking quite a bit about in the, in, the, in the recent weeks is so much of what I'm learning and what Peter's teaching in the high ticket sales space is directly applicable to the B2B consulting sale. And a lot of what we struggle with in B2B consulting in terms of long sales cycles and not being able to, to have authentic conversations with buyers and not showing up to those conversations as experts, as, as the people in the room who are there to solve a problem, a lot of those problems can be, can be solved through some of the teaching that Peter uh, helps his clients with in the high ticket coaching space. So I wanna be clear about that because I think a lot of people might be thinking, well, you know what, this, this sounds like he serves somebody else, and that may be true in terms of who Peter helps in terms of his clientele, but the things that he teaches and the processes he helps with are directly applicable to B2B consulting. And that's what we're going to dive deeper into today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we do sales clinics for a lot of our clients and we do have clients who do serve the, the B2B industry, the corporate consulting industry. And that, you know, that was one of the things, you know, that we realized recently is there really isn't a good product out there uh to teach this to the B2B corporate sales industry. And and I'm on, I, I really think that we ought to put something like that out there here soon. But in the meantime, um, you know, I, I wanna give all the value in the world and share how you can translate what we do in the high ticket coaching and expert space into shortening the sales cycle in the B2B and corporate space.
0: So Peter, let's let's use that as a jump off point. I think one of the big issues that people struggle with, and my clients included, this is a big area where, where we work together with our clients, is how do we show up to conversations with buyers in a way where they see us as the experts in the room? The challenge, Peter, is is that a lot of people just feel like they're having conversations. They're not seen as experts, not seen as authorities, and they're being treated like salespeople. And that's exactly the, the opposite of what they want to be seen as.
1: Yeah. I mean, the number one thing is like, really that we've talked a little bit about, you know, what I call the expert frame and the expert frame is really the way that you structure the conversation from the very get go. So that instead of them looking at you as just someone else pitching them a product, they look at you as somebody who they can count on to provide expertise in guiding them through a buying process, which includes sometimes advising them that they shouldn't buy your product. I know that seems like super counterintuitive to people um, probably, but the reality is that when you come at it from that space, not only do you make more sales because you build trust, you also have a tendency uh, to get referrals, even from clients who aren't the right fit and don't buy from you, which means you actually win in the sales that you wouldn't, you know, you couldn't have made anyway. And so that's, that's, I think the key distinction. And then the way you go about that, that process, which I can talk about in a little bit more detail too.
0: Yeah, let's, let's get into that. But, but right away, I think there's an important mindset shift there is what I'm hearing from you is that when you go into the conversation as the expert, you need to detach yourself from getting the sale because that's not what experts do. Right. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And it's really what, what, you know, part of what it is and what made me successful is that I always, I've, you know, I've had coaching in my background, uh, really from the, you know, pretty much my whole life. Uh, and so for that reason, I've always treated sales as coaching. I mean, even going back to Florsham shoes, you know, I've always treated it as, you know, like looking at what not just they wanted, but what they, what they needed, what, you know, what was really like, important to them and then advising them based on that. And sometimes like even going all the way back and I you know it sounds so funny to, to boil it down to something like shine shoes, but even going all the way back to selling shoes uh, you know, I, there were times where I just advised people, Hey, this isn't right for you. You should go down the, you know, down the, 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 the mall to, to Rockport and buy that because that's really what you need. And I'm telling you that like, I got more referrals from those people than the people that I sold to. Because they were just like, wow, if you go in there, he's gonna, you know, he's an expert, he's gonna, he's gonna show you what what you need. And so that's the same thing when you boil it up to B2B. When you go into, you know, a major corporation and you have a conversation with somebody where you even, because it, it isn't the right fit, advise them against purchasing your product. Like they become a customer for life. They, they wanna find ways to buy from you. And and if they can't, they at least wanna find ways to refer you. And so you become instead of a salesperson, you become a trusted advisor. And like that is the quickest way in to get referred left and right. And and then the cool thing is that does that alone shortens your sales cycle and positions you in a place to be trusted from the get-go.
0: Yeah, I always tell my clients, one of the most powerful things you can say in a sales conversation is it doesn't matter to me whether or not you buy.
1: Right. But that saying it's not enough, right? You gotta like mean it and believe it. And I know it's really hard for salespeople to get in that space where they really believe, like, like not especially if like you know, you're, you're in, a, in a rut where you haven't made any sales in a while, it's really hard to be in that space.
0: Yeah, but as a, as a consultant, it's really, it should be easy to get into that space because when you sell, you then have to deliver. So unless you want to be delivering to a nightmare client or a client that's not a good fit, you should be able to very easily step back and detach yourself from not letting a client who's a bad fit or doesn't need your help buy
1: yeah. And I can tell you, I mean, I think I shared this story with you recently where, you know, I had a client, it was, you know, 15K purchase that they made. And, uh, I, you know, I realized I, I thought they were a good fit, but when we got in, they just, they didn't listen. They weren't a great client. Uh, and you know, I, I, looking back, I should have just refunded them and said, Hey, you're not a good fit. You're not doing what we're asking. Here's your money back. You know, good luck. Uh, instead I, I gave them extra months and I tried to help them. But they just still wouldn't listen, and in the end, I look back and during that period, I wasn't making sales because, like, I was, you know, it was creating, um, you know, doubt and, and other other mindset stuff. Uh, and when you're a consultant, you have to have you the, the client borrows your belief, and so you have to have a level of belief that just completely surpasses theirs, um, and and that creates a buying uh, environment. And so, you know, when you, when you take on clients that aren't a good fit and uh, you struggle to get them results, number one, it's like, oh, do I want to take on another one because now I've got to serve them, you know, and, and it just, it really, so now it's harder. And then number two, if they're not getting results. Then you start to question your worth, even if you know it's their fault and they want a good fit, you still chose to take them out of the client. So that distinction is really, really key is that, yeah, you are going to have to fulfill You don't want to end up in a situation where that's just not fun. Because I think that, you know, I, I figure I, I probably missed $100,000 in sale, sales during those couple of months that I was with that client because I didn't, didn't just refund her. So uh, that lesson was learned years ago and I won't make that mistake again.
0: Well, that's the thing that nobody really thinks about, right? There's an opportunity cost to working with every client. And for the folks who are listening, and this is true for me and for you, Peter, is we're the scarce resource in our sales conversations, right? We're the, one that, we're the ones that have very limited spots available to work with us. And so we've got to guard that like it's gold because it is gold.
1: Yeah. And, and it also is a lot more fun to get 100% success rate. So when you're really good about screening your clients... <laughs> it's a lot easier to get 100% successful.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned something I want you to expand on a few minutes ago. You said the client borrows your belief. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, what it comes down to is that when your certainty and your belief is so high that like, you know, that when this person buys, oh my gosh, the results are going to be like, you can picture the outcome. I mean, because you have to realize you and the client are on opposite sides of, Of, like, a a cavern, right? Like, or a, uh, um, uh, you know, just there's a giant uh, gap between you and the client. And so you're on one side, they're on the other, and they're, you know, they're looking over going, okay, I really want what's over there, but I don't know what's down there between us, you know, and and I just, I'm not sure. And so, what you've got to do is you've got to have that belief, which is like a bridge for them to get over that gap and get to the other side. And so, you know, they, they need something. And obviously, you know, you've got testimonies, maybe you've got case studies and you've got the way you describe your process and the, in the, the pillars that are involved in the, you know, getting them to the result and all that. But that's not typically enough. The belief that you have that, wow, if they buy this, it's like you can see what's on the other side. You can see what's in store for them in a way that they can't. And so, what happens is you get people that are interested, and they're maybe kicking tires, but they're just not sure. Um, and it's your belief that really does pull them over to the other side. And so, if you have any doubts, and this is again why I say, if you sell to the wrong people, you know, or you're, or you're not getting people hundred, you know, great results because you're selling to the wrong people, then your your beliefs going to suffer. And if it doesn't suffer, and you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, I think I can help this person, right? And so, the key thing with that is I, when I think I can sell to somebody, I don't sell to them. I only sell to somebody when I'm a hundred percent certain that if they follow our process, they're going to get results. And so what I do in the cases where I'm not certain is I tell the client, I'm not sure we can help you. And here's my concerns. Right. And then I, and then I make them start to qualify themselves to show me that my concerns are unfounded. And then if they can do that to my, you know, to, to, to place where I, I actually get to that belief that, okay, yeah, I, I think that you know, these, these concerns are unfounded, or you're willing to make up the gaps where I see them to make this work, or if this comes up during the process, you know I know we can pause and I can go back and say, hey, I told you this was a concern, what do you want to do about it? And they're willing to go, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll fix it. Then I know I can get them resolved. It may take a little longer, there may be some bumps in the road, but we're on the same page. And so that, you know, that's really the the key piece there. And so to to do that, I've got to have that belief and then I've got to qualify that they really are a good fit. And that's, that's kind of my, my process for what I'm not sure. So if I'm not 100% sure that I can get the results, then I qualify to make sure and get myself to that place before I
0: sell. Okay. There was like five massive shifts there. I need to, we need to break that down because that was... That okay, was- okay. You know, and I think in a lot of ways, what you just said to me, that's what makes your process and your approach very distinct from all the other stuff people are hearing about sales, where they're talking about persuasion and objection handling. I mean, those are details, right? But what you just presented, I mean, this is the crux of the matter right here, right? Is that if you have the belief that you can solve a client's problem beyond a shadow of a doubt, well, if you don't have that belief, then don't expect the client to be confident, but the thing that I think is really, really important to note here for everybody is if you don't have that belief and if you're not 100% sure, what Peter's saying is don't sell to that person and instead be very authentic and forthright about your concerns, which is I think the opposite of what most people would think that they need to do. They would think that, okay, I need to sell this person to overcome my own belief and therefore their belief. I need to persuade them. I need to cajole them into believing that this is going to work. And in turn, maybe I'll believe it too.
1: Right. And it doesn't work because if you don't believe it, they can't bar your belief, which is a key indicator or key factor, as I, as I mentioned. And the other thing is the best part about this whole thing, now it doesn't work if you do it inauthentically. And I want to talk a little bit about authentic sales in a minute. But when you, when you come from it from that angle where you've know, got some concerns and you start to qualify them like people want what they can't have, right? I mean, it's like it's like a um, you know, like a dating coach would teach. Like if you're super needy and you're leg humping the girl at the bar, she's like, something's wrong with this guy. I don't, I don't want to go on a date with him, you know. Um, and vice versa, whether it's a man or a woman in that case. Uh, so it's it like it's just to, totally the opposite. But when you're like sort of almost like, yeah, you're just kind of, uh, you know. I mean, like, I, I you seem interesting. I want to. I want to. I'm qualifying whether or not you're somebody I'd like to go get to know more. Like that has a, it draws them in like, Oh, why this guy's pretty confident here. And so, so there's that sort of psychology piece of people want what they can't have, but that's not why we do it. Right. We do it because it's the right thing to do. And this is the point where some people like I had a, a potential client today that I talked to on the phone and uh, just a couple hours ago. And I told him, I said, here are my concerns about working with you. And this is what you would have to do. And, you know, they said, well, yeah, I'm not sure that we're willing to do that. I said, I get it. And I'm like, I, you know, and they wanted what I have. But I'm like, I, I don't know. I want you guys to go back and decide because we're not going to do it differently. than this. So because I, I just I've done it differently, Miss, and it doesn't work. And I don't want to promise you something I can't promise you. So if you want this to work and you want to work with us, this is what I need you to do. And I, said, So I don't want you to make a decision today because I don't want you to make it. You know, I want you to stop and I want you to think about it. And I want to make you to make sure that you're willing to do this piece. And like, they got off the phone. They said, okay, yeah, let us think about it immediately at like 10 questions in a row were sent to me via text right afterwards. And, you know, these guys, like I dollars to donuts, these guys are going to enroll. So, uh, and, and it, I didn't do that because I was trying to make a sale. I did it because it was what was right for the client. And there's two pieces. One, they want what they can't have. And two, they respect your forthrightness and they want to work with somebody because when you're in the process and you're working with them, they want to work with somebody that's going to tell them the truth. They don't want somebody to tell them what they want to hear. That's not why you hire an expert. That's not why you hire a
0: consultant. 100% love that, Peter. So let's jump into another question now. One of the issues, Peter, is that in B2B consulting sales, typically you have very long sales cycles and it depends on how big. Organization is, but you know, I think there's some research come, that's come out of the corporate executive board that says the average B2B purchase has five or six decision makers, and it takes you know months and months and months. And you know, that's a big pain point for a lot of our listeners here. Is they're not they're not big consulting firms. They don't have legions of consultants and salespeople that, to do this work for them. They're selling and delivering, you know, typically on their own or in a very small group. So, what's your best advice? for taking some of those long corporate sales cycles and, and shortening them up as, as fast as possible so we can get to a yes or a no.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know that, okay, so what we teach in the high ticket space is that you've got to take somebody through a process uh, where you understand their pain, right? Like the problem, the general problem that they're experiencing, the specific like pain that they're dealing with or problems below that, like how, how does that show up? Uh, as an example, if a client is a potential client is coming to us uh, to a, a, an offer that helps somebody generate better marketing and get more leads, then they're, you're going to understand. Okay, well, how many do you getting now? How many did you get last month? How many of those are you closing? We get the specific details, the general problem, specific details. Then we're going to get the doubt. You know, what are their their doubts about their ability to solve this on their own? And then we want to get what it's costing them to not know how to do that. And then from there, we want to qualify, and then we want to connect the dots. That they understand, hey, here's the things we're gonna to do to solve all those very specific problems that you had. You know, and when I say problems, I mean actually the things that it's costing you. And so, uh, so in the consulting space, it's very similar. However, right, when you've got a long sales cycle and five people you've got to sell to, you're not trying to sell your product to person number one, right? There's a gatekeeper typically that you're talking to up front. And when you're talking to that, uh, you know that initial person. Maybe it's an executive director that's got to go to a board on a nonprofit, or maybe uh, it's you know an HR manager uh, who's got to go to the board or go to the CEO and the man- executive management team to make a decision. Well, what you've got to do is you've still got to understand that person that you're dealing with, whoever that front person is, their pain, their doubts, their their costs, uh, and qualify that you know they're the kind of person you want to work with and that they're going to be committed to following that process. And what I mean by that is as an example if you're talking with you know let's say it's an HR manager who's still got to go to the board there's things the reason they're in charge of this purchasing decision is because there's some goals and there's some things that they've got to hit that th- this consulting or this offer that you've got is going to be responsible for and it's going to affect them in some way. Maybe it's going to make their life easier because it's something they won't have to handle anymore. Maybe it's going to reduce costs in their budget so that they're in a position where, you know, they can spend things on other pet projects that they really care about, whatever it is. And so you've got to understand what's driving them. And you've got to get below the surface on that because they, you know, maybe their goal is to grow with the company and they want to move up to the executive management team. Maybe they want to get the experience and, and you know, have some proven successes at the company so that they can, you know, make a pivot to another company who knows what their potential goals are, but what you need to know, that's who needs to know. And so when you go through that process and you, you take them through just like we would go paying doubt cost, qualify, connect the dots, and then make a one call closed sale. You've got to make a one call closed sale in enrolling them in supporting you in getting to the next level. Whether that's getting to the proposal process, whether that's getting to the meeting in front of the board, whatever that particular next step is, you've got to enroll them in that process. And then each, each step along the way, that's what you're doing, is you're learning from the people that are in charge of that particular step, and you're understanding their pain, their doubt, their cost. You're qualifying that they're going to be committed to following the next step because you're going to help them get what they want. They've got to help you get to the next step so that you can follow that through the process. That shortens the sales cycle, and it also is going to increase your close rate when you look at it and handle it in that way.
0: So that is the hack of all hacks right there. And I'll tell you why, (laughs) Peter, because, you know, in my experience, my client's experience, the number one obstacle to a sale is usually not competition. It's resistance to change. There's so much that goes on in the buyer's world inside the organization that we as sellers, we don't know. We don't have privy. To that information. So we've got to find an advocate on the inside who's willing to champion our cause and bring us to the table and navigate those, you know, the politics and the resistance and the, you know, the status quo. We can't do that. We need somebody on the inside. And I think what you just said is something that so many people overlook. And here's a common scenario, Peter. Uh, Clients will come to me and they'll say, look, you know, I'm getting to so-and-so but they're not the decision maker i'm getting to the hr manager i'm getting to the procurement manager i'm getting to the controller but in the end the cfo signs the check or the ceo signs the check how do i get to the ceo or the cfo and i go well right. you know that hr manager who do they report to
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and and what what happens though is most uh, most people try to sell that person because they're like well i don't know what else to do so i'll just sell them like i would the decision maker and hope that they're so sold that they go and then take what you've sold them and sell it to uh, the decision maker. Well, the reality is they're never going to be as good at selling you selling you as you are going to be. So what you're trying to do is get their buy-in to bringing you through to the next step and having you involved. And in the cases where they can't do that, they just can't bring you to the next step, you at least get them to a place where they want it so bad and they believe it so much that back to this borrowing the belief thing, that they believe this is going to solve the problem. And so that belief then is relayed to the decision maker. And they're like, well, gosh, Mike really, he's really going to on this. He really wants it. So either we're going to do it, or we're at least going to now talk to you, the consultant who's selling, because Mike is just, his belief is so strong that this is what we should do. And so that's what you're doing is you're, you're basically, uh, you're instead of trying to sell them your product or service, you're trying to sell them on the process, on taking you to the process, And that's a totally different way of doing it. And it's a totally different outcome when you
0: do it right. I can't even tell you how many of my clients have sold five, six figure deals by doing exactly that. Finding an advocate on the inside who's willing to listen, who has skin in the game, who's invested in the outcome and having that, having them champion the process on the inside with the decision maker. It's so powerful. Yeah. And it's exactly what I did when I was in corporate sales and it works. 100%. Peter, let's talk a little bit more about authenticity. I know that a lot of people listening to this this podcast are gonna be thinking, look, I get that sales is important, I get I need to do it well, I get that it's a skill, but they have a hard time, I think, separating the sales process and selling from the posture that they want to have in the the conversation, a posture of authenticity and integrity. And they just don't see those as being possible together. What's your What's your best advice there? Well,
1: I mean, that's what we just talked about, really, right? Like in the qualifying conversation and some of these pieces, and getting clear on what they want, um, and then being honest if, like, what they want isn't realistic, or you can't help them, or or you you know you have some concerns about your ability to get them that without certain things being in place. And so that's what where the authenticity comes from is you just don't do things. Like, cause it, it actually reduces your close rate because when you start to sell inauthentically, you do start to create doubt in your own mind. You don't have that level of belief. They can't borrow it and your sales rate just goes down. So that's why we don't sell to people that we aren't sure we can help without qualifying them and making sure we can help them. And when we can't, we walk away and we tell them why we're walking away and we do our best to refer them to somebody who can help them, which is why, you know, all of us, anyone in sales should know, part of what you need to do is know your industry, know your competitors and, you know, get to know your competitors and, and the movers and shakers in your industry so that you have that ability to go, you know, what? I'm not the guy. Mike really deals with this better. You know, he's, you know, here's his card. And, and actually I'm going to, if it's okay, I'll have Mike give you a call. And guess what, when you call Mike and you go, Hey, competitor, a Mike, um, you know what? This is a better client for you. Then the, then Mike also goes, wow. The next time that there's somebody that, you know, I can't, uh, I, I shouldn't tell to, or, or there's somebody who's asking me my opinion of you. I'm going to tell him, Yeah, he's a stand up guy. So that, that just positions you really, really well overall to be authentic. And then the other piece of it is, is just like when you actually go and you care more about the person that you're talking to and what they want and what their goals are and where they're at now. And you have a, uh, a conversation where, you know, and we've talked about this a little bit. Ahmad about like people don't listen to each other in everyday conversation anymore. Um, and maybe they never did, but the reality is that I've been to mixers like networking events and things and you watch two people having a conversation and they're just sort of like going through the motions and all they're doing is waiting for the other person to stop talking so that they can speak. And I've watched two people have a conversation that aren't even in the same line. Because they're not listening, they're just waiting and then speaking and then waiting and then speaking. And I'm like, and I'm just laughing because I'm listening to both, going, neither of them have any idea what the other person is talking about. All they're on totally different topics, but they think they're talking about the same thing. Um, and it happens all the time. And so people don't feel heard. So when you're a totally authentic person that's genuinely interested in the prospect that you're speaking to and learning about them and their pain, doubts, you know, what it's costing them um, and, and, whether or not you can actually help them when you really do that well, and you be totally authentic in that process. You not only do you earn trust because you're like, wow, you know, this, this person really cares. This person really hears me. Um, but then also, so, so just it positions you really well, but then you're also positioned to be able to make recommendations, which sometimes might not be you. Um, but that's how you earn the business. That's how you earn the referrals. That's how you earn the opportunity to, to go to, you know, step 2 step 3 step 4 and present in front of the board or the ceo or whatever it is to make that sale
0: so i think a big part of this and i want to get a little bit deeper on this if you don't mind is is being yeah. able to go beneath the surface and have those deeper conversations and like you said you know everybody prefers to keep things very surface level it's very comfortable my ego is intact right my, i'm not vulnerable i feel very confident very comfortable when things are at 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 the surface as a prospect as a buyer How do you, how do you go beneath the surface and get down to the crux of the matter without making people feel uncomfortable?
1: Uh, You know, they may feel a little uncomfortable. You may feel a little uncomfortable, but that's, that's, that's the expert frame. That's back to that expert frame. Because when you're in a position where, you know, I, I, you know, usually I start those conversations, you know, Hey, look today, I just want to learn like a little bit about what you're looking for, like where you're at, where you're trying to go what the gap is between here and there. And if we can help you bridge that, I'm going to share with you what that looks like. But no matter what, I want to help you get clarity on what you do need to do to solve this problem. You know, and, that, and so I get that buy-in early on in the, in the sales conversation with that person. Then when I get into that deeper conversation with them uh, and, you know, and, and, and I, my frame, my state is to look at it and go, okay, I want to understand what makes this person tick because I want to help them get whatever they want. And when you come at it from that perspective, number one, boy, who wouldn't want to work with and talk to and be open and honest with someone that they truly feel has their back, is at their side and wants to get them what they want. So that's the authenticity piece, you know, in and of itself. And then, you know, you just have to be willing to ask the hard questions. And, you know, those are things like, you know, tell me a little bit more about that. What, um, why do you think that is? And then the, the most important one is, and this is really hard for consultants to do, uh, but it works really well. Is how, you know, how does that feel to keep having that coming up and getting that same result again and again, you know? And it's like, you'd be shocked how often So, like, I mean, it sucks. I go home at night, I'm stressed out. And, you know, I'm arguing with my wife because I'm just like, I'm not getting the, you know, I'm not getting the, the, the credit here at, at the office because this is still a problem. And I know the problem, but they won't fix it, right? And you know, whatever that is, and so you can have that conversation. They see that you're on their side. And so they're willing to ask answer those questions. And at the same time, when they give you that depth, man, it's, it's really now they feel like, wow, this is an advocate for me. I want to take them to the next, the next step because not only is it, is it going to do I want to help this person who clearly cares. But also, I believe this is going to solve my problems and get me home earlier at night and get my wife and kids happy and make it so I can make their softball games or whatever. And so that's the level of depth we have to go to. And most people are scared to do it. But the reality is that people aren't used to that. And when you do it, uh, they, they, that's when they feel that level of authenticity and belief that you are somebody that cares and wants to get them the result.
0: That, that's a really clear line in the sand for me. I think a lot of people are just stuck with certain frames around sales that they get from, you know, television, movies, culture, their experiences with salespeople, whether it's the door to door guy or the car salesperson or whatever it may be. And they feel like selling is about being liked. It's about being seen in some kind of favorable light. But the truth is, and this is one of the biggest things I've learned from you that it's got nothing to do with being liked in, in kind of the traditional sense of the word. It has everything to do with serving the client being their advocate, searching for the truth, and getting comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. I mean, the example that comes to mind to me is when you're at the doctor's office and he's looking at your scans and you've got a couple of blocked arteries. I mean, if he was just concerned about your comfort, he wouldn't tell you what's wrong. But he's not going to do that. Right. Right.
1: Or you go, yeah, you know, it's fine to keep eating double bacon cheeseburgers, you know, for a <laughs> bunch of dinner. You know, you'll, you'll be okay. just just, um, just just walk a little more after dinner, right? Like if he doesn't want to actually, he wants to soften, he doesn't want to, he's not worried about saving you, he's about saving what you think of him. Well, the reality is you're going to respect that doctor a heck of a lot more when he's honest with you. He says, hey, you're going to die if you don't do this. And I don't want you to die and you've told me you don't want to die. So, you know, so the, the key thing with that is I don't want to be liked. I want to be respected. And guess what? When you do it in a way
0: that you earn their respect, they're going to like you, too. So it's a win-win all the way around. And here's the thing. As a consultant, if you can be forthright with a prospect and say, look, here's the problem. Here's what you need to do to fix it. If that scares them, you don't want to work with them anyways. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And, and so, boom, you just, you, you just eliminated uh, a headache for you two months down the road when that client is a pain in the butt because you know, you, you, treat it, you, you led. Like sales is about leadership, and that's the the big shift I want everybody on this call, uh, this podcast, to to really get is that it's if you focus on being liked and you rapport sell, you can do fine, right? You know, I mean, like you see lots of mediocre salespeople rapport sell all day long, but the true superstars. The ones who get the coffee, right? Coffee is for closers, if, uh, <laughs> if anybody's uh, <laughs> um, seen uh, Glenn, Gareth, and Ross. And I, and I don't look at sales that way at all, so I hate to even use that reference. But the reality is that if you want to see the superstars, the ones who really knock it out of the park and who are the most respected, do the best in their, in their industry and really you know, get the big bonuses and, and make the sales and build huge consulting companies that are serving clients at a big level, you focus on earning the respect and being a leader. and That's what you care about. Not just trying to make people like you because making people like you will make you an income, making people respect you and see you as a leader will make you a fortune.
0: hundred percent. And that's in our, in our context, those are the guys and girls that have clients for life. Cause when you find somebody like that, you don't let go. Right,
1: right. Exactly. And that's, You know, and the cool thing about that is they, every, you know, every new product, every new offer that you come out with, they're going to buy it because they know if you say it's for them, it's
0: for them because you're, you're a leader and someone that they respect and trust. Awesome. Peter, I got a couple more questions for you because when you get Peter on the phone, you don't let go (laughs) until, (laughs) until you've exhausted him. So a couple more questions and then we will let you go. Wanted to get your thoughts on pricing. What do you do? And this is not getting a little bit tactical, but I think it'll be useful for everybody. What do you do when you come to the point in the conversation or the buying process where you can quote a price and there's objections around the price? What do you do?
1: Uh, you know, I mean, like one of the things that you want to understand very clearly is what the outcome is for the client. And that's one of the reasons, well, I mean, especially uh when you're talking to somebody uh early on in the process, in the early stages of the process. And, you know, which typically price doesn't become a major issue there, but it but it can. And when it does, like understanding what the cost to them to not fix this, them personally, not getting the result and how it's gonna affect them, but also the cost of the company and why they want to solve this problem. So you gotta really understand that from from all angles so that you know, I mean, if you're if you're making an offer, uh then clearly one of the key things is going to be that you understand the value and the outcome that you're going to be getting them. And if that cost, uh, if that cost doesn't outweigh, like, it, you know, is it more than what your price is? Well, then you probably shouldn't be making an to them because where's the value in it. And now that now understand the cost isn't always just a monetary thing, right? Sometimes, you know, cost can be positioning in the market Cost can be uh, you know, employee satisfaction. You know, cost can be all sorts of different things. It can be monetary, and it can be non-monetary. So keep that in mind. But you need to understand that the cost to them far outweighs what what you're what you're charging um, in those various ways. And then when you you know when you do get to cost being an issue, the way you handle that objection is through essentially coaching them through that and helping them understand. Well, you know, this is what you shared with me, and it's costing you you've shared it would be priceless to make this shift and have this change. So I'm not sure I understand your concerns, you know, about, about the price here, you know, and so you've got to, you've got to got to really know uh, at a deep level, what the effect and the outcome is for them to buy so that you can have that and coach them through that and have that conversation still in an authentic way that helps them see, okay, yeah, I, I get it. I, I, this is valuable enough that we want to We want to see this outcome. It's, it's worth making that, that kind of an investment.
0: So if you don't mind, I'd I'd love it if you'd share the three questions that you like to ask when prospects raise a price objection and and the reasoning behind why we ask those questions.
1: Yeah. So the first thing that we want to ask uh, every time is we want to ask, you know, first of all, aside from the price, is there anything else that, you know, that would keep them from wanting to work with you? And the reason we want to do that is we want to handle, we want to isolate that objection because we want to know. Uh, really, is that really what it is? And, and, and so the reason we ask three questions too is because sometimes they'll say that's what it is, but then you want to make doubly sure. So that's what the next questions are about. So the so first thing we ask is aside from the price, is there anything else that would keep you from wanting to work with us? Nope, nope. It's really just the price. That's our only concern. Okay, great. So then the secondary question to that is, okay, is it your goal to, and whatever that outcome is, right? To increase, uh, employee retention by, you know, by 40% you know, whatever it is. Uh, so is it your goal to outcome? Uh, and, and so we usually say, is it your goal to, you know, increase employee retention by 40% and, and work with us? It, yeah, yeah, it is. It's just the price that's getting in the way. Okay, great. And then the third question is, uh, you know, what are your concerns about getting started? And here's the interesting thing. Sometimes when you ask that third question, what are your concerns about getting started? They'll say, well, I just, you know, you're not a big enough firm and so we just have some concerns about that. Well, now all of a sudden you realize the concern or the objection wasn't really price, right? So if you try to you know talk to them about financing options or you know uh, you know whatever that might be that you you use to, to you know well we can we can lay it out over two years or installments or whatever, right? If their concern isn't really price and that's what you're handling, you're not going to win that sale. So by asking that third question, then you can actually go okay, well if your concerns that we're not big enough, let's address that. And now you can do whatever you do to show why hiring you as a smaller firm is preferable to hiring the big firm. And now you can address that specific objection. If the objection is in fact, Nope, Nope, it's really just the money. Now you've really confirmed that three times. Then you could actually go into what I said just previously and how to handle that objection by helping them see what it's costing them to not have this outcome that you can help them get. <laughs>
0: So a common scenario, Peter, is we go through those motions and it ends up being a price objection, you know, through and through where they just, they don't have enough room in the budget to pay what you're asking for. And if it's $50,000, they're going to come back to you and say, look, you know, we've got 40, we can do it for 40. What's your take on, on discounting and handling, handling issues like that?
1: You know, you've got to know your costs and what makes sense. Um, you know, and some um, you know, some consultants build that in and they go, yeah, I know people are going to negotiate. So I'm, you know, I kind of come in at 50 knowing I do it for 35 and, you know, and we probably buy it somewhere in between there. Um, so, you know, you've got to sort of know what your costs are and, and what that looks like for you. Um, and you know, and the time and what your hourly rate should be and all that, So, that's gotta be a decision. To make. I'm never a fan of discounting because in my mind, you're again, it's back to the expert frame. I'm an expert. And, you know, if I discount my services, I devalue them and you're not going to respect me as an expert as much if I let you set the price. So, uh, so I'm not a big fan of that, but you know, that's partially up to to you as a consultant. Um, so, but if you're not going to do that, then the conversation really just needs to be going back to, Hey, I totally get it's not in the budget, but let's look at what's also not in the budget, right? The cost of employee retention, I keep using that example, or, or the, um, you know, the, additional income you're going to be launching this new product line that we're going to solve with you to build right so yeah, that's not in the budget either or at least the numbers that you've got in there as we've discussed so far through this process they're not you know they're only 60 percent of what they could be with our with our process so yeah i get it's not in the budget but neither are the outcomes that we're talking about and so you just got to handle that objection in that way that does
0: that help hundred percent. And I think this is where knowing who you're talking to is really important. So you're not going to get into this detailed pricing negotiation with the user. You've got to be talking at this stage, at least to the decision maker who has the authority to bring the resources to bear, if it makes sense. And then it's on you to make sure that it does make sense.
1: Yeah. So that early step, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to give a price. You want to discern from them what the budget is, you know, and make sure it's, you know, within a certain peg that, you know, uh, it's like you know they may say, "Oh, it's less than than what you know what you might charge," but it's like it's within the realm that they could make the jump to the level that you're going to charge. So you want to discern some of that from the the gatekeeper from the first step, but you really don't want to be having those price discussions uh, with anybody until you get into the later steps. And the way you position that is, you know, I can't really give you a price until we get into the ins and outs of this um, and really get a lot of lot of things answered. So as we go through this process and get closer to a decision, I'll have the info that that I need in order to be able to consult with you and give you more details on what that will look like.
0: Yeah, totally. The only thing I would add to that is if you've gotten your positioning dialed in, then by definition, there's a whole lot more clients and prospects that you can work with than there are of you. So you should have no problem saying goodbye to a client that won't pay your price because you know there's another one down the street who will.
1: Exactly. And that's why I'm not big on discounting. Uh, and that's one of the reasons you want to make sure uh, that you work with someone like a mod and you get yourself set up so that you can actually have the kind of lead flow uh, that you need in order to not have to discount. And you know, guess what? When you don't discount, that's another way that you frame yourself as the expert and, and you're respected. And later on, when they don't get those results that you shared with them, you could get them from somebody else, they're going to come back and they're going to respect your price and maybe even respect a higher price if you've grown and raised your prices. So the key thing with that is, is, you know, have that lead flow and have things set up so that you have the ability to, to really succeed. And you know, that's why you
0: you look for someone like you. So, so funny, quick story, just to close off here, I had a prospect come to me. We got on the phone, clearly needed my help. He was right up my alley, needed to join my program. We would have done great work together. We might still. And, um, It was just out of its price range at the time. And he asked for a discount and I said, no, kindly. And I explained why that that's not something that I do. And then, uh, you know, on LinkedIn, he reached out to one of my clients because he liked the way that she does her marketing. And he said, Hey, who's helping with your marketing? You do really good work. And then she mentioned my name and she introduced us. (laughs) I had a good laugh. because I was like, wow. I mean, hopefully by now this guy sees why paying the extra, whatever it was would have been worth it. And the discount doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, exactly. A hundred percent. And, uh, the other thing, you know, too, for you, it's like, well, look, if I discount my services, um, then I'm basically telling you that's what you should do too. Would you really want to work with somebody who's, you know, going to obviously advise you to do that? No. So, you know, let's, um, let's, let's get real here. Like you
0: want results. You want to be able to charge what you're worth. And so you've got to pay what I'm worth. Precisely, precisely. Peter, listen, this has been fantastic. Anything that you think is important to mention, that we haven't covered in in this interview?
1: Um, I think the last thing that I'll say that's really key is you're going through these steps with prospects is, you know, get them, get micro commitments. You know, get them to to commit to taking you to the next step. Get them to, you know, uh, commit to when they're going to get back to you by. Um, You can't, you may not be able to make a one-call close, but you should be able to make a one-call commitment to the next step. And you you can hold their feet to the fire. And the way you want to position that is, look, I want to get you results if we decide to work together. But I know from my experience that the people that get results are the ones who are committed, that do keep their word, that do follow our process. You know, so we want to keep this ball moving. Uh, and you know, I just I, I want to get a commitment from you on what the next steps are. So always get those micro commitments uh, before you exit
0: that first step, step, second step and so on. Great advice. Peter, you've got something for us special I hear. Is that true? Um, yeah. So, I mean,
1: we've got a, a for those of you guys um, that are wanting to know, Hey, what does, um, you know, how do I know if I'm, and, and this, you know, th- I'll say this is more for our industry. So I'll, I'll show that with you, but it can completely be used within the B2B corporate industry uh, is kind of an assessment of how the sales call is going. Um, and there's some things to look at and things to ask yourself. Uh, so those of you guys that want that and want to kind of use that and you can kind of, you know, maybe reconfigure it for your own market. And you can go to our our website, OnlineSalesTeam6.com forward slash forecast, and
0: uh, and you can grab that there. Cool. And we'll drop a link to that in the show notes to this episode as well. Peter, uh, this has been super, super insightful and super helpful. I think you've really changed some lives today. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your insights.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Ahmad. It was a pleasure to be here, and uh, I hope hope it makes a difference for some of your listeners.
0: Thanks. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is, if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is, I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step by step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge, and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com. And you can spell out 5 or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.